0: And Betts gets a slider, hits it to shallow center. In comes Nimmo, and the ball game is over. Adam Adevino with a 1 2 3 ninth to save it. Big day for Francisco Lindor. And the Mets take advantage of some Dodger mistakes to take the series from LA and win the season series four games to three, and maybe anticipate another matchup with the Dodgers in late October.
1: Pretty much been your team's M.O. from the beginning of the season that you take advantage of the opposition's mistakes. Well, it's hard to do against a team that doesn't make many. And, you know, we we caught them on. You know, it's really hard to see the ball day. I mean, the four o'clock starts. I wish everybody could go try to play the first three or four innings. Really, after that, you're just constantly adjusting to the sunlight. It's really hard. But it's the same for both teams. But, uh, you know, we took advantage of some of the mistakes that uh, you know were made. You know, um, Pop up goes down as a line drive. Well, you you, you know it's a battle. You know, every year, pitches away inches. It's just it's this close battle against a, a really good team. That uh, it's good to you know establish that we can play with them on, on these on these uh, what seven games. It's just another game. I'm not sure trying. I've said this about the Braves. I've said this about now the Dodgers. Just it's it's not. It's not who we play, like this is not the playoffs. I know know it may not be cool for like the fans kind of thing or whatever it may be, but it's just another game. Um, If this was a playoffs, I'd be saying a whole lot of different things, but uh, it's just another game. We have a a long way to go, we have a whole month to go. So it's just a good win against a good team and that's about it.
0: Feeling around here today, September 1st, as you head into the final month. Enjoy tonight. I'm actually going to US, US Open. enjoy my night with my beautiful girls and then come back tomorrow and beat whoever we have.
2: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Friday, September the second, twenty twenty two. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show up on Apple podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at Podcast.com. and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Decided to come to you after the big series against the Dodgers, early Labor Day weekend edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I think Labor Day already started with a big series here against the Dodgers, really started Monday. I don't know if maybe some of you guys decided to float into the weekend and take the week off and enjoy the baseball, but... What better way to really get into Labor Day weekend than to have a big series against two of the best teams in baseball? And I come to you here, and yes, I, you know normally we do Sunday, but I think after this series, and I had said this uh, right before the series started on the day off on Monday, that with Labor Day coming and whatnot, and with this big series in play, that I was probably going to mix up the schedule a little bit. So here I come with a reaction series, uh, but not just a reaction series looking at the Mets' task at hand, because we really have hit a demarcation line when it comes down to uh, the season, where this Dodgers series really is the last big, uh, if you want to call it warm-up, I know if you heard the intro there, Chris Bassett, Francisco Lindor, even to a certain degree Buck Showalter, who always says, worry about today, nothing is bigger than today's game. Don't agree with that, but deep down, I think all of us, and yeah, we're talking as fans we're looking at this as the last big test before the push here to make the, uh, the postseason. Not so much about making the postseason anymore about the Mets, whose matching number, I believe, is now 28 for the division. But uh, more about can they win the division. Uh, but going into the Dodgers series, and it's really the theme of the show. All year I have said the Mets are a team that individually may not be sexy. But when you put them all together, they do a lot of little things that equal up to something really special. And there was a book back in the day about the Tampa Bay Rays, I think it was called, which was called The Extra 1% or 2% or something like that. I don't care what it's called. I'm not even going to look it up right now. But I'll say The Extra 1% because you heard what Buck said coming in. There's a lot of little things that go on that you have to take advantage of in a baseball game. And really, uh, going in, I had compared the Dodgers, and I, I even said this on Twitter, and many of you disagreed with it, uh, to this juggernaut, even though they haven't been in the same sphere as the Yankees winning you know four out of five championships over Span. They've been this dominant, big-spending team for about eight years. Heck, they're really not even in the same class as the 20, 2010, 2012, 2014 Giants, who were not great example of maybe where the Mets are as a team. They were not a sexy team. They're a team that did enough to win and and had a mini dynasty there. I mean, they didn't win back-to-back, but winning three titles in a span of, uh, you know, six years or five years, that's a big deal. And that's hard to do, as we've talked about. So when the Dodgers came in, I compared them to the 96 Bulls because of the gap between them and the rest of the league. I even did a little uh, intro with Permian versus Dallas Cotter. In uh, Friday Night Lights, you know that kind of uh, dramatic theater, and a lot of that is to have fun on the show. But I, I really believe if you look at the Dodgers up and down, uh, they're a really tough team. I mean, look, guys like Tyler Anderson uh, go over there, uh, Andrew Heaney, and, and they just all of a sudden become these really—I don't want to say elite, but high-level starting pitchers. Everybody who goes into that system seems to come out and be better, and you got to give them a ton of credit. So. You know, it's not just been about their um, power of the of the dollar. That's what gets you Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner and Mookie Betts. You know that does get you there. It's also been about what maybe Andrew Friedman brings over from his days in Tampa, which is the extra one percent, not just in finding players, but also doing a lot of the little things that win win ball games. And when you combine the two, you become a juggernaut. What you really saw, and I think there was still some. Doubt amongst maybe Mets fans and members of the media is that, you know, can the Mets be in the same uh, ballpark as the Dodgers in a big spot in a big series? And although I agree with Joel Sherman, and I said this before the series, you can't just take away any declaration from these games. Just like I said throughout the the series of the Braves, no one series, no one game is a declaration one way or the other. It's really, uh, you know, about winning and advancing to the next step here. Uh, putting that aside, there is still a certain amount of of testing or comparison that these series, as you head into the postseason and the, where we are now, where you know we're out of August. We're in really the summer after Monday, but Labor Day. It's still a summer on the calendar. Unofficially, it's over. We're into fall. We're into football season in a week. Uh, you know, postseason's right there in front of us, about a month away. So there's no more of this, you know, let's get through the summer, Dog Dave's the summer type of deal. We are firmly in this, in the, the go-get-it phase, firmly in there. So as I watch these two teams, as I'm watching the games, and you see all these stars like Kershaw and DeGrom and Betts and Freeman and Pete and Diaz and, you know, you guys all know the names. I look at these two teams, and I don't want to hear the Dodgers – they're 20 games up, and they're not interested in, in pushing it. They wanted to win these games. They were into these games. I mean, they're they're, they're ball players; They're human. You know, maybe they're not stressing the fact they lost two out of three. They shouldn't, but they're into these games. And I'm watching what's going on, and I'm saying to myself, really, when it comes down to it, and this has probably always been true, and it doesn't matter if it's the Dodgers or the Phillies, but we're talking about these two teams. It's really going to come down to, Lots of little, non-discreet, nondiscreet, unsexy things that potentially could win a series and win a ball game, And you saw that throughout these three games. And that's really what the postseason series, a potential postseason series, between these two teams would come down to. Why did the Mets win four out of seven games uh, against the Dodgers? Well, you know, they, they did a lot of little things. Going back to L.A., you know, getting big hits. Our friend J.D. Davis, who's not even on the roster anymore in, in L.A., The Medina save, Pete having a big game against the Dodgers when Walker Bueller was still uh, in the rotation. Uh, Last few days, they lost a game because they couldn't get out after getting through the teeth of the Dodgers' order. Guys like Turner and Freddie Freeman with the bases loaded and nobody out. Uh, They hit Joey Gallo. Taiwan Walker hits Joey Gallo, and then Gavin Lux has a big uh, two-run single. Same thing with... Lux later in the ballgame, a big two-out hit. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, game of inches, big catch. I mean, probably not just the best catch of Nimmo's career, but I have to tell you that's probably one of the best catches in City Field history. I mean, somebody actually brought up, uh, I believe his name was Travis Snyder. It's been a long time. It's been a decade since Ari Dickey won the Cy Young Award. But the day he won his 20th game against the Pirates at home last year, probably last week of the season, last few days of the season maybe. Um, Snyder went over the wall. I think it was David Wright took a home run away. I mean, Nimmo's catch might be right up there with him. At least I don't want to put it on the Andy Chavez level because of the fact that Chavez was in a game seven, the ultimate game, but it's up there. So a game of inches. And then DeGrom, you know, making the right pitch. I mean, there was a couple other balls hit by DeGrom by the Dodgers that could have won either way, but making the the big pitch game of inches and then capitalizing on mistakes like they did yesterday. Lux back in the mix again, misplaying a ground ball, misplaying a pop-up striking out in big spots. Uh, thanks to 103 heat by uh, Edwin Diaz. I think the gun's a little hot, by the way, Trace Thompson channeling the 2006 NLDS uh, is Russell Martin somewhere. Uh, getting thrown at home on the single by Chris Taylor. Big play, big play there because it, it basically took, uh, you know, bets out of the uh, a big spot where you could erect the game potentially and put the Mets behind. Um, little things like that throughout, that's really the difference. It's going to be the Mets playing good defense, moving runners over, rough executing with less than two outs, a fly ball, nearly hitting a home run. These are the things you have to do. To win championships and none of them in a vacuum are sexy, but doing them and doing them well and all of them together lead you to winning a ball game. This is where you got to put aside all the run differential, all the theater that I even have contributed to with, with the Dodgers and just say, look, they're a team that's really good. Uh, They're probably not the best team in the history of baseball right now. They are a team that has superstars, spends a lot of money. But is really doing well, doing a lot of the little things. If you really, if you watch them over the course of these seven games in a row, uh, you know they don't usually beat themselves. Yesterday was an anomaly, and when you make a mistake like the Mets did when uh, I believe it was Bassett was pitching in LA, they take advantage and they hurt you. I mean, that, when you really go dive into their lineup, you've got Betts, Turner, Freeman. That's the teeth of their lineup, and that the biggest gap between the Mets and the Dodgers is really there because. Those three guys, arguably, are top 10, three out of the top 10 players in the game, maybe on both sides of the ball. The Mets really don't have on the offensive side a top 10 player. I mean, Pete was exposed quite a bit this series because of the Dodgers saying, hey, we're going to just feed you a diet of high fastballs. Maybe you don't fish anymore on the low and away, but we think you can't lay off the high fastball, and that's where your weakness is, and you don't see a lot of strikes already he's i think pete has he and aaron judge probably see the least amount of strikes there's data on that in the in the game we're gonna de- we're gonna tempt you because we know you want to have a big uh a big hit or you know make a big play in a big spot and it didn't happen so you know, the, that's where the big gap is but then when you get past that gap where the mets don't have top 10 players on the offensive side i think the mets component players certainly are as good but maybe better And to me, that's where a lot of the little things, you know, things that Marte brings to the game, uh, a where who all of a sudden now seems to have found his power stroke, which was missing most of the year, one of the top guys on getting on base, you know, things like that, you know, Eduardo Escobar, who I think is an underrated defensive third baseman, Brandon Nimmo, what he brings to the table and what how he has evolved as a, a defensive player. I mean, even Francisco Lindor, who, look, I've been as critical of him as as anybody else, but that play up the middle where he flipped it backhanded, I mean, that's a tough play. That's a tough play. So it's really going to come down to that. And, and even in the bullpen, I mean, we criticize the Mets' bullpen. And the Dodgers have a bridge that I think is pretty solid. But it's not infallible. I mean, their closer, we didn't even see Kimbrel. I mean, unless you think Jake Reed, who I liked, by the way, you guys know that. And I was not going crazy about them DFAing him, but I would have liked to keep his arm around. Uh, Unless Jake Reed all of a sudden has arrived, and they've they've stolen from the Mets a high-leverage relief arm. Not ready to say that, but I wouldn't put it past them. Um, You know, I don't see their bullpen being exponentially better than the Mets. So that's where we're at. I mean, concerns other than Pete when it comes to the series. The Dodgers were not intimidated by DeGrom and Diaz. Uh, I think you guys could agree on that. If you look at it, I mean, Diaz had the really good save, the Timmy Trumpet save on Wednesday night. But yesterday he was, and he's had a couple of those with Philadelphia. I'm, I'm keeping an eye where Diaz, as we've gotten more into September, he's had more bend but don't break outings. And I think that's good because you're going to have higher-level teams you're playing against in the postseason who may still be able to against an elite closer like Diaz, navigate those situations. But it was impressive how he was able to dump his slider, which wasn't working, and just blow blow the competition away with a 103 mile an hour fastball. DeGrom, I mean, he was DeGrom, but they squared up against him a little bit. I mean, he made a couple of mistakes. He made a mistake to bets, which he paid for. And he nearly made a mistake to, to, to Justin Turner with a fastball over the plate. Dodgers, not scared of fastballs, even if they're hundred miles an hour, 103, a little bit of a different situation. So where does this leave us now with the division? Because Mets magic number in the ballpark of 28. I did some quick math. I believe that's, that's accurate. And, the, the schedule's clearly in their favor. Look, they go 16-14, and 14, which would be very mediocre against the competition they're facing right now. Very mediocre. But again, I always say this to everybody. September is one of those months where a lot of stuff happens. You remember a name, Jonathan Albaladejo. I believe he might have even been in camp with the Mets, but he, Yankees acquired him. He came up with the Washington Nationals in 2007, and he was this lights-out reliever throughout that that month when the Mets collapsed and lost the division to the Phillies and the Nats did a lot of damage against them. Everybody remembers the Marlins and the last of the Nats did some damage against the Mets and that's were a bad team back then as well. He never really lived up to what, you know, the guy looked like he was going to be this elite arm out of the bullpen. And you see these things in September. You see guys who are playing for their baseball lives or guys who have nothing to lose Veterans coming up that are trying to hang on. Teams that just say, hey, I'm going to lose 95 games. Let's go in here and have some freaking fun and wreck a season. You see that. Uh, And all of a sudden, you wake up and you're in three tight ball games against a team that has been no man's land and and was getting blown up or the doors blown off of them just six or seven weeks ago in the middle of summer. Now, all of a sudden, they look like every bit the postseason teams that you're going to face in just a few weeks. So you can't you can't just assume that the schedule the Mets are just going to walk in and show up, throw their gloves out, have their bats out, and they're going to win because the Cubs aren't going to believe that, and the Pirates aren't going to believe that. They're going to you know the Marlins aren't going to believe that. You get an Alcantara game in some of those series; those games are pretty much toss up games. You're probably not favored in those games. So sixteen and fourteen would be disappointing. With that said, you're going to win a hundred games here. The Mets are on pace to win hundred games. More than that. You're gonna win 100 games. The real question is: Let's take the low-water mark barometer here. Is 100 enough to face the Braves, uh, to beat the Braves, to get and you control a certain degree your own destiny? You have three games to left with the Braves in Atlanta. I think for my purposes, I really would like to get to that series. And I know if the Mets could could still use that series as a as a push the pedal to the metal series and still line up their rotation for the postseason. It's not the last three games of the season. It's not like you have to pitch to Grom the last day of the season to get in on a division win. But you really would like this division in a position where you don't have to sweat those three games at a high level. Do the Braves, if the Mets win 16 games, which is, I think, a very reasonable expectation with the schedule they have in front of them, and get to the 100-win mark. Uh, are 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 the Braves, uh, you know, do they have 12 losses in them? And I'm not so sure. They have a West Coast trip. We know that. They have seven games with the Phillies. We know that. I'm looking at the Braves' schedule right now. They play in the Marlins this week, and they got an Alcantara game on Friday. Goes back to what I said. The Marlins stink, and they probably, you know, they have no offense. But you put Alcantara in there. And, um, you know, anything could happen. And it's in Atlanta. It was interesting. Daniel Murphy was on a podcast recently, and he talked about how hard it is to play in Miami because of the, the energy not being anywhere near what it normally would be for a big league ball club. And I've always said that. It's funny when I heard him say that. Go, I've been saying that all along. But I digress. So you have the Marlins series. And then they go on a West Coast trip to Oakland, Seattle, and the Giants. And Seattle's tough, and they're in a, a wild card race. And the Giants – Not so much in a race, but it's still San Francisco, and it's always a tough place to play. Do they have three or four losses on that West Coast trip? Do the Phillies have three wins against them as they battle for wild card position? So you're looking at maybe six or seven. You're going to say, okay, six or seven losses out there. I don't know in a combination of the Marlins, the Nats, the Mets, they finished the season off with the Marlins again in Miami. Again, there goes back to that no energy comment. I don't know if they have another five losses out of all that. I mean, the Mets could do damage and beat them a couple of times. Not going to be easy in Atlanta, but they could beat them. You know, Maybe they get a couple, you know, two. I don't know if those other teams could beat them three times. I mean, the Rockies, it, it makes me feel a little bit better because I thought the Mets were sleepy against the Rockies offensively. Rockies put the Braves tough. I mean, the Rock- Rockies played the Braves and Mets tough the last seven games but still lost, still lost, uh, uh, you know, majority of them. So, you know, the Mets are going to have to push this well well past the 100-game mark. I think they're going to have to win about 103 to 104 games. This is going to be like the 93. It's not the same stakes as the 93 NL West division between the Giants and the Braves, but they're going to have to push. I, th- I said a few days back. I said ah, 100 should do it, but the Braves aren't going to lose. I mean, I, I saw that. You know, everyone talked about the Braves' schedule getting tougher, and the Mets having one of the easiest schedules after uh, September 1st. I, I still think the Braves are not going to lose a ton of these ball games. I think the Braves are going to play at a high level. I don't know if the Mets just play 16 and 14, that very low water bar for their schedule. they're I don't think it's enough. I don't think the Braves have 12 losses in them. That you need 28 combined. That's 16 Mets wins and 12 Braves losses. Do the Braves have nine losses in them? That's that's 19 and 19 and 11. I mean, the Mets really blow through the competition. Then we have something else there. But it's still these are big league clubs, and the Mets are going to have, you know, they're not going to be able to pitch out of Vino and Diaz and pedal to the metal every game. You know, you're still going to need Trevor May and Lugo and guys like that to uh, to step up. Pete's got to get back on track. You know, when he and Lindor was slumping there through the the latter part of August, you saw the Mets offense really uh took a dive. This offense because they have a lot of component, high-level component, very good player, very good offensive players. But they don't have the elite top 10 bats like the Dodgers. And they don't they rely more on manufacturing runs than slugging their way to victory like Atlanta. You know they could lose any game. They could, you know, we said this for a while. The difference between the Mets and the Braves, taking on that, is that when they play bad teams, the Braves they could just bludgeon them. Mets are really not able to bludgeon because it takes a lot for them to manufacture seven, eight, nine runs. They're not going to win fifteen to two a lot. When you win fifteen to two, you slug a couple of home runs. When they've done that, the few times they've done that, the Mets, they've hit a ton of home runs. But that's not usually their game. And really with the September call-ups, and I know everybody's getting crazy about Vientos not being up. I'll trust the Mets front office and talent evaluators on that one. But if you haven't been paying attention to Billy Epler and Buck Showalter and how they look at roster creation, everything they've done since the trade deadline and forward is about getting players that play good baseball, that play good defense, could run and run the base as well, not just speed run and run the base as well. Provide versatility and flexibility specifically on the defensive side. They didn't go out there and just, you know, yeah, they brought in Vogel back and rough. Those are your sluggers. Those are your single-dimensional, one-dimensional baseball players for a DH spot. That's what you need in the DH spot. But when you play the field, when you're a two-way player, they want two-way players on this club. And Vientos, quite simply, is not a two-way player. He's a one-way player. Now, you could argue you should be up for the DH. He might be better than Ruff. We don't know that. Ruff is a veteran. Ruff has had uh, – he's got some 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 long teeth in his his baseball reference, back of the baseball reference, back of the baseball card resume. They want guys that can provide them a lot of the little fundamentally unsexy things on this roster throughout. Terrence Gore, who, by the way, looks like he's 12 years old. I, I, I know he's been in the game before. For some reason – I've seen, I know I've seen Terrence Gore on the field before. I mean, he's with the Royals or the Mets were playing them, right? And I know he was, he's was. he been in, you know, with the Dodgers and whatnot. He, he seems to get on these postseason teams as this, this pinch runner extraordinaire. But did I miss something? Did he take, like, is he Benjamin Button or something? And he went back, and he's getting younger? Because I thought for sure when I see him, he, he was so short. And I'm a short guy. I'm 5'6", so I shouldn't be talking, but... He's so short that when he's on second base and the, and the, and the camera can't even get him in the, in the full picture. It's just funny. The whole thing is just funny. So, um, you know, that's where we're at. The Mets are going to have to really keep pedal to the metal. There's no break here. The Mets are being pushed at a high level by Atlanta to get the positioning they want. Unlike the Dodgers who can float the postseason, the Mets can't float. I will tell you, though, I think there's going to be a certain amount of toughness and a benefit to that that is going to give the Mets a slight, I'm not saying any big, a slight advantage when they play the competition. I always felt, and we saw it with the 2000 Mets, when wildcard teams fight to get into that tournament, and they have to, they don't get any breaks. And here, the only break the Mets may get is they may get a bye, which is big when you have all the non-days off, the, the rest they can get, which could be a detriment because it takes you out of your momentum. But I think for this team especially with the way they're going to have to push guys like the, the starters and, and Diaz and and, 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 the, and the starters. You know, guys like Lindor, Pete, you know, even to a certain degree, Marte, who hasn't been healthy for a while, they don't take days off. Nimo, they don't take days off, really. Buck interchanges guys, but guys really are not getting days off, especially guys like Lindor and Pete. They do not get days off. So uh, it'll be interesting. I think that winning a championship and one of the, the ways you could set the chessboard up well is getting into that buy situation. Not that I mean, look, the Mets don't win the division. I'm not writing them off and saying it'll be a disappointment, and there'll be plenty written about it, and they will be called failures, especially because they really now have this clear open path from what on paper says they should win the division. But you again, these are professional clubs in front of them. They there are guys looking to earn paychecks and earn spots on rosters next year. And some of these teams, even though they're bad, have some pretty good players. I mean, even the Nats, they're going to have guys they bring up that are our top prospects, like a C.J. Abrams. Those guys, you know, you don't know who they are. They could you know, Maybe the Nats are, are now, with all their rebuild, they're a better team now than they were before, and, you know, they're putting a push of who they may be next year. You just don't know. You can't just go by what you think should happen. And especially when these, these teams get on the road, they get, you know, they play it in front of their, a lot of them play in their home ballparks, the very sparse crowds, lack of energy crowds. They're going to get into it. Because now they're playing in front of a pumped-up crowd. They want to show that they belong. So just, just keep that in mind. Before we wrap up, and that's all we're going to do is really a State of the Union here post-Dodgers series. Before we wrap up, some real quick takeaways on the out with what we just saw. I already talked a little bit about, about Pete Alonso, exposed a little bit. The Dodgers found a little bit of a, a weakness in the Death Star there. It's something to look for. Pete's got to learn from that. And if if, if history teaches us anything about Pete Alonso is that he will. I mean, he's gonna remember, he's gonna go back and say, look, I, I gotta figure out a way to lay off these high fastballs if I can. I mean, part of the reason why they're effective is because they're well well placed, they're well pitched, they were executed well. So that's the first thing, because that's a danger. I and mean, that's gonna show you in a short series how good teams are going to and when you get into a short series it's not like just waltzing in a town and waltzing out, and, and it depends on how each team is set up that that those three days or four days. Things could go either way just because you're catching a team at the right time. The scouting, the especially a team like the Dodgers, the analytics, all the things that make them who they are, they're all gonna be on point. So you have to be on point. You have to be ready to make the adjustments. The other thing, and I think we haven't talked a lot about him, and at some point we really should dive deeper into him. Starling Marte is a hell of a lot better than I thought on both sides of the ball. Now I have talked about him before on this show back about three or four years ago when Brody Van Wagenen was the GM. A lot of you thought trading Brandon Nimmo and bringing Marte in when the Pirates were looking to deal him and they wound up dealing him to Arizona. I was not in favor of giving up a big prospect package for him. I just said, look, he's a good player. No doubt about it. Playing in Pittsburgh. Hasn't played in a big spot in a while. And the, with the Pirates being bad, uh, but when you looked at the numbers on paper, I'm like, eh, yeah, he's good, but I'm not ready to give up who I who I, I, I've been proven right. An elite run creator in Brandon Nimmo for Starling Marte. And uh, I could not be more wrong. I mean, here's a guy that's played gold glove defense and right. Made the all-star team. Uh, you know, adjust. You saw he looked foolish in his early at-bats against Tyler Anderson. Adjusted and hit big home runs in the series. I mean, he basically won. I mean, yeah, DeGrom and, and Diaz won. the the game on the pitching side. On the offensive side, it was Starling Marte in the second game of this series. And then he really started the rally that got the Mets the lead with the ground ball that Lux lollygagged and uh, got a big big hit with two outs to give the Mets some insurance that proved to be big in the the fifth run. So Starling Marte, guy we got to dive deeper into, really, really important. You know, I... I'm not, I'll, we're going to talk more about Mets MVPs at some point in September. On the offensive side, you could talk about Lindor. You could talk about Pete. You got to put Marte into that conversation. The other thing, when the Mets get their starters and you saw them push DeGrom into the seventh inning, Mets have to get their big three. Bassett, DeGrom, Scherzer into the seventh inning. They should have a bar of 100 to 110 pitches. I believe unless there is something that you see overtly in your eyes, you saw, and the concern I had with DeGrom this, in this last start is that his stuff, and he, you know, still his stuff is at, at a crazy level when it decreases, but after 75 pitches, and maybe it was because of the Dodger lineup and the stress a Dodger lineup puts on you, he, his stuff decreased and his command decreased exponentially after pitch 75. He made it through the other next 20 pitches or so, but he wasn't the same DeGrom the next 20 pitches, and uh, Turner almost punished him for it. I mean, let's, let's put it that way. But you got to get these guys into the seventh inning. Bassett, unfortunately, labored a little bit there um, with walks, and that's a killer. You can't walk these guys, especially the back half of that order. You can't be walking these guys. you got to go after them. They could punish you. So they have pop. They're not bad hitters. But if you walk those guys, you're setting yourself up for Bets, Freeman, Turner to put a hurt on you. So you got to get these guys to the seventh inning. You've got to make that bridge to Diaz as minimal as possible. The bridge to Diaz will get better. I mean, some promising things coming out of Binghamton last night with McGill pitching, with striking out the side down there. He's on the way. He's going to be a reliever in the back half of the season. Peterson will get a start this weekend against the Nats. But as far as a lefty, I, I at this point you got to go with Peterson out of the bullpen over Joelly Rodriguez. I know Joely has good, you know, a lot of soft contact. You know his numbers are probably, you know what he provides are probably better than what his numbers indicate. But he is a lugi. He is a loogie in a world where loogies don't exist anymore. He's a guy that you want to just go out and you have him in your bullpen to go after the, the left-handed hitter in that on that team and then get him out. And that's just not a very valuable asset anymore in today's game in the three-batter role. It's just not. Peterson is a guy that could go to both sides. And you know, just like John Neese went into the bullpen for the 2015 Mets, I think Peterson could play that left-handed role very, very well. And, and both of these kids... They're going to be parts of the Mets rotation. What they could do now is you know, elevate their games in a small, relieving sample size and take those learnings and take how they, they're they going to be pitching in big spots against big hitters to hopefully become much better rotation pieces next year and going forward. And then while we stay on the topic of the bullpen, has Adovino arrived? Has Adam Adovino arrived? We've talked about the Mets' inability to get David Robertson at the deadline, and I still think that that was a punishing non-move. But we forget that Adavinho has been every good as anybody else that you could have gotten at the deadline coming out of the bullpen. He's re- here's a guy that's reduced his walks. His numbers aren't great on back-to-back days, so that's something that to watch out for, but he showed that didn't bother him yesterday. That slider is wiped out. And really the one thing that, the one thing, and I don't know if they've, what they've done to improve, he doesn't talk a lot to the media. The media hasn't even focused in on him, which is interesting. I think they should start looking at him more. Is he's reduced his walk rate by almost fifty percent? He's a guy that walked four, five per nine. He's you know he's a little two, two and a half guy that walks two, two and a half. Has the strikeout pitch like he does? Very hard to elevate him. You know he's a guy that if you if he if he doesn't locate his fastball, you saw that with the Castellanos home run back in in, in the late spring. I think that was Memorial Day weekend, maybe going back there, maybe a little bit before or after. Um, When he had that, the game they came back with the plumber home run. When he he doesn't locate his fastball, he's imminently hittable. He'll give up the home run. He's given up a few big home runs. But that slider, the fastball, when it is located, you can't elevate it. That's what you want in your bullpen. No walks. Guys who have pitches that can't be elevated that really are going to stay on the ground. It prevents the beginning. It prevents from the heartbreak. And he has been an excellent bridge to Diaz. I mean, those are six outs. Diaz, Aravino, maybe it's Aravino Diaz, Diaz, Aravino. depending on, it looks like very clearly, Buck is going to use Diaz against the best setters in the lineup, whether that's the 8th inning or the ninth inning. Uh, that, to me, is a very solid six outs. Would you have liked Robertson because of his pedigree and because he's a closer and he's got a better resume and, and a longer resume than avinno Is avinno going to turn into a pumpkin? Because this is very much an anomaly in his career. At this point, maybe. You have to keep that in the back of your head. But He's been good all year. Maybe the Mets have figured something out. Just like the Dodgers figure stuff out. Mets are trying to beat the Dodgers. They can figure stuff out too. And then finally, and I said this earlier, forget about Vientos. Forget about anybody in AAA, Alvarez, who now is hurt. The Mets are focused on run prevention. That's it. Any move they make, Terrence Gore, Marrero, uh, when Guillerme comes back, they want guys who are really good at doing little things, base running, defense, hitting the cutoff man. That's what they want on their roster. Now you're not going to make a roster of Terrence Gore's and Marreros that you'd be a bad team. We're talking about backups. But even going forward, is Billy Epler running this 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 team? They're more likely to get guys like Mark Hanna and guys like Marte who are really really good, but not elite. Maybe in the next tier because they play both sides of the ball. They're going to go for guys like that before they go for Schwaber or Castellanos because they're more, they're more balanced. So keep that in mind as you go forward, as you expect the Mets to do things. They're telling you who they are under Buck Walter and Billy Epler. They're telling you right now. And that's how they're going to be for the next four years at least, when they're contenders. So if you don't see Vientos in the lineup, there's a reason. They don't believe he can contribute to those kind of things. They don't think he has the versatility. He certainly doesn't have the versatility on the on the defensive side. And they've got a left-handed DH who's played at a very high level since they acquired him in Vogel back. And Ruff, they've invested in him. They had a, paid an expensive package of prospect capital to San Francisco. He, he came through with a big at-bat on a sacrifice fly, nearly hit a two-run homer yesterday. That they They invested in him. They're not pulling the plug on him now. That's not how you do things in Major League Baseball. When you make a decision, you know, you don't write it out stubbornly to to the, the detriment of yourself, but there's no reason that Billy Eppler and Buck Showalter are going to take a resume of a veteran who played for a 107-win team a year ago that many thought could have won a championship, and they're going to just throw him aside after a month of not-so-great offensive baseball for a kid that's only hit in the International League. They're not going to do that, and I don't think they should. To me, Vientos is nice, but... Tearing up the International League is tearing up the International League. Throwing him into a pennant race, throwing him into a high-level baseball, at this point, probably not something they want to do. It's not what this team's DNA is all about. If he's still on the club after the winter, talk to me in spring training, that's a different ballgame where maybe that's more of a viable alternative. You don't just stick with Ruff because he's a veteran at that point. If he's still on the roster, you have a, a right-handed alternative that could mash lefties and basically be a cost-effective right-handed platoon to Vogel back who will still be around. So that's where we're at. This is the Labor Day State of the Union after the Mets-Dodgers. What will be next? I think we're going to take a step back, let the Labor Day series against the Nats take play. We will be back with another Talking Mets podcast. The schedule is obviously Labor Day is an early start, a 1230 start. Um, There is an off day on the 8th, and I think that I'm kind of focusing in on that, maybe the next check-in with the show, and then obviously we'll get back to our weekly situation on Sundays after that. And then, you know, there's going to be a lot of pivoting, you know, with postseason series coming out, you know, clinching divisions, big series. So stay tuned. You go to at Mike Silva media on the, uh, the Twitter account, talking dot podcast.com. You'll, you'll get the alerts. If you follow this show on whatever the app you uh, use, you'll get the alerts. You'll know when it's coming. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. You of course, like I said, you could check me out all the time at the talking, dot com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva media. And you can show on Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at podcast.com No G, Mike Silva at Podcast.com. I'm host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Enjoy the series against the Nats. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
0: all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM.